You're listening to the Corporate Quitter Podcast, where it's all about exploring possibilities for making an honest living outside of the traditional nine to five. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Corporate Quitter. I'm your host, Gabby Ainel, and today's guest, he's super unique. I'm so excited he's on to share his story. His name is Mike Montague. He's a game show host, public speaker, podcaster, and writer. He's been a radio DJ, karaoke host, virtual game show host, MC, and DJ for live events, including opening for Billy Idol, Frankie Valley, and an MC at Toby Keith's Bar and Grill. He is the founder of Playful Humans, a community and design to help the burned out and bored get re-energized and engage with life. His mission is to help adults rediscover the power of play and avoid a midlife crisis. So Mike, I am so grateful that you came on because I find that your story is so unique and like you're doing so many different things, which is so cool. I feel like so many people aspire to have a life that is so exciting and unique and every day is different and you're kind of doing that, right? You're making it all work and every day is fun. Well, yeah, that's the the dream and definitely trying to have as much fun as possible. I will say, though, that it's really hard, even when you're a playful human and you're doing fun things like this, to not end up like working for a corporation. So I have at many points in my life been in radio where you're owned by a mega media conglomerate that's like a, a global organization. And you're trying to be the one that's playful in that organization. And then also I, I've done the same in sales training and other industries where they're international companies or I'm working with Uber or Thermo Fisher Scientific or other large corporations like that. Even if I'm the fun, playful one bringing it, like it seems like that corporate world still has its grasp on everything even in social media and stuff. So I'm excited to see what we jump into today. And I'm really glad that you're on this mission with Corporate Quitter because it has to be constantly reminded. It's like we keep falling into these traps of like, oh yeah, I should just buy everything on Amazon or whatever. And you're like, no, wait, like there's a local business that does the same thing right next door. I could just, you know, walk a hundred feet and get the same thing that I I wanted. And uh, I find all that fascinating. Yeah. It's so cool to, I'm sure, because, right, you've gone through all the decades of, like, the dot-com bubble, right? And then, like, now we're doing, like, crazy influencer marketing. And you would even before the dot-com bubble, when, like, you literally had to walk to the store to get the thing or, like, whatever it was, do the business cards, like, write the old ways of doing things. So I'm sure now you're just like, what in the hell is this world becoming in, like, the most amazing but also crazy way? Yeah, I think it's interesting, especially as an entertainer, people talk about selling out. And whether you're going to, like— work for somebody else or do your own thing and be an entrepreneur and and make it work. And how does that work? I've kind of found a combination of both really work best. And so it's not the one way or the other, but it's interesting to me because there's different challenges and benefits to either. As an entertainer and public speaker and team building, corporate events are the best money. I could work on my own and work DJ, uh, you know, birthday parties and weddings and stuff and, and do okay. But it's literally like 10 times the amount of money if I go do the exact same thing for the exact same amount of time, but do it for a, a large corporate entity. And so it's just fascinating to me how our culture values different things and whether you want security and health insurance (laughs) with your job, or if you want freedom and you want to follow your passion and you want to work when and how you want to work, and then you got to make enough money to buy your own health insurance or, or things. 
Yeah. I'm glad you pointed that out because that is a big factor with people figuring out if they're going to leave or not is like, well, what if I have to make sure that, you know, in case of an emergency, I'm taken care of. But right, if you create a lifestyle that can sustain you just purchasing insurance yourself, like then you can have the best of both worlds. But before we go down that whole rabbit hole, I want to kind of step back a second. And can you just give us like a background on your story? Like, I know I gave an intro of like all the things you did, but can you kind of share with us like what you went to school for? What were you doing? Like what led you to basically be this founder of Playful Humans and kind of craft your life. Sure. I feel like I have taken a lot of crazy paths, but they all boil down to a, a couple of things. In grade school, I really wanted to be cool and I wanted to be on the radio and have my own radio show. I used to like mess around with my brother and we had a tape recorder and we would like, you know, have a race in the pool and then interview the winners, be like, uh, you know, Ryan, how's it feel to be the winner? Oh, it feels great. Okay. Our next, uh, next race is so-and-so. And I loved playing around and doing that. But I also, as you mentioned, grew up in the time where kind of computers were evolving and the internet was evolving. And so my mom won a computer in a radio station contest in the 80s. This is when you had to like program it yourself. I figured out how to program it, bought a modem and got us onto internet news groups and stuff. And it's funny that it was a radio station contest uh, because of, of my background. But I, I found a natural proclivity for me to just like dig into the internet and start doing some cool things there and seeing what was out there in the world. And at that time, not a lot of people did it. So I made a ton of money in high school and college making websites for people. But I didn't want to be a nerd. I wanted to be cool and, and be on the radio. So I went to college for communication theory and human relations. And I figured that got me into the communications building, which had all the broadcast equipment. And I could take the TV and radio classes as the electives, but also have something that I could fall back on if I needed an actual degree, <laughs> should I, I needed to pursue that. And I think that's good advice for anybody that needs to play the corporate game or wants to make sure that they have that as a backstop is you know, having a safety net that is reliable or something to fall back on. It's not a bad deal, even if it just gives you the confidence to go do your own thing. But since then, nobody's really asked me what my degree is, except for in podcasts and, and things. So after college, I did this contest in Kansas City called The Last DJ on the Planet. And it was like a reality show competition where you get voted through different rounds and whoever is the last one standing got the last job at this radio station, which was an overnight DJ from like 12 to 6 a.m. And I did not win. I got second place. But the person who got third place quit their job at another radio station as the prize guy. And so since I knew about that in the contest, I called them up because of some of the stuff I was doing in DJing in college. And I said, hey, I hear you got an opening <laughs> from a prize guy because this guy just quit. And uh, thank you, Lucky, uh, by the way. And I became the prize guy weekend on the retro station. I always tell people this that want to have a playful job, too. You don't get overnight gigs. Like nobody picks you to host the Super Bowl halftime show as your first job. You got to take a crappy one. And so I think it was like $12 an hour or, or something. Terrible hours, nights and, and weekends and driving around in a van to all of the gas stations, car dealerships and grocery stores in Kansas City as the prize guy. But then I eventually got the Saturday night show and then the Sunday night show and then moved to Sunday mornings. And then I ended up switching radio stations because it got bought and sold in radio. Talking about your corporate problems here. Like, I think there were six different ownership groups in five years. 
So it got sold from one to the other, and CBS became Viacom, and all of this like crazy corporate changes. I ended up moving to the Top 40 station, and I got my own full-time show there, and finally like felt like I made it, and I did what I wanted to do on radio. But the whole time, I was like, I don't want to be a nerd. I don't want to sit in a room by myself behind a computer all day. I was designing websites for the radio stations and continuing to do side work to pay the bills. And then I realized, uh, guess what the job is in radio? Uh, sitting in a room by yourself behind a computer all day. <laughs> and you tell the funniest joke you've ever heard of, and nobody laughs like you just did, Gabby. You know, it's like maybe one phone line. I get one red flashing light in the corner, and I pick it up, and it's my buddy who's like, hey, man, that one was funny. And I'm like, okay, thanks. I'm glad somebody was listening. And it just wasn't what I thought it was when I was a kid dreaming about what radio was. So I kind of moved then to the public speaking world. And the same time I was DJing live events, weddings, clubs, was voted best karaoke show in Kansas City. I got to open up for Billy Idol and Frankie Valley doing a, a karaoke contest and emceed at Toby Keith's Bar and Grill, as you mentioned, got to really cool opportunities. And that kind of led me to do social media training and public speaking. And then that led to sales training and some marketing books. And I wrote a book on LinkedIn which was picked up by LinkedIn themselves and Sandler Training and got me a job there as a uh, international Sandler trainer and, and social media expert. And that's kind of where it's all headed to until we got to the pandemic. And I had this COVID baby of playful humans and started a podcast there. And uh, I feel like I've gone for way too long, but I'll give you one more side thing. No, but I think it's so cool that you're really showing the full story because I think a lot of, especially young people, like I deal with a lot of Gen Zs and millennials, they get nervous to deviate from the path. They get nervous to try something new when realistically, like that's the great thing. You get to like take all these pieces and put it together. So that's what I, where I was going to go is yeah. during this time, I also started in my own internet radio station when I was getting fed up with the corporate world of terrestrial radio and satellite radio was coming in and the internet was just making it possible. So I had one of the first radio stations live on iTunes and it got like 30,000 listeners a month. And I started a podcast back then. And then when I got into sales training, I started a sales training podcast with Sandler. It's still running today. It's called How to Succeed. And there's over 500 episodes and over 2 million downloads for that podcast. And I never turned down a chance to be behind a microphone or do my thing. And so if my day job wasn't fulfilling me, I always had something to do at night, a karaoke show, or now I host game shows and a podcast or some sort of side project, writing a book or working on something or coming up with a cool social media marketing program. I always kind of fuel different things for different reasons. So one of those things is money. If the radio job wasn't paying enough money, I made websites on the side to fill that gap. If websites weren't making the money, I would go DJ more weddings or do corporate speaking to fill the gap. And I've kind of just been able to add those things up. And what I found out, especially for young people, is it made me way more valuable. So a radio DJ makes maybe 20 to 40 grand a year. A web designer might make 40 to 60. A, a sales trainer could make any kind of amount of money when you're a public speaker. It could be anything from like nothing to very large six-figure numbers. But when I combine all three of those, nobody knows what to pay a DJ, web designer, sales, and marketing expert. They've never run into one before. So now I can decide for myself 
what my hourly rate is, and nobody can argue with it because there's nothing to compare me to. So hint, it's about you know all three of those combined. So now I get to make really good money, do what I want, work when I want, and and do the things that I'm most excited about and pass off everything that I don't like. And I, I really like where it ended up from all that experimenting. Yeah. And you're like just getting started in a sense, right? You're like, it's so crazy because like you've probably done so much in like half your life and you still have another half of your life to go, which is like so cool when you really take into consideration how much time we have like on the planet. And it's crazy too. Whenever I speak with younger people, you always feel like you're in a hurry oh, that you always. need to make your mark or you need to get there. Right. But it goes so fast and instantly I don't know if it was just my head trash or what, but I'm 42 now. And in my 20s and 30s, I was always like, just give me a chance. Listen to me. Like, I have some ideas. I want to do something cool. I was pushing so hard and racing to get to some sort of level. But once I get there, that's why everybody has this midlife crisis. You're like, oh, well, I checked all the boxes. I followed all the things. I, I got a nice house. I got married. I got a good job. I have a 401k. I got everything I wanted, car I want and, and everything. And then you're like, well, now what do I do with the next, you know, 40 years? Like, I don't want to work for another 25 years just doing this. I want to keep pushing myself. But I also found that somewhere around, like, 35 to 40, it was almost exactly when I turned 40, I went from being the young up-and-comer to, like, the old guy. Uh, and it was, like, instantly overnight. And you're like, well, wait, that can't be right. Like, where's the sweet spot? Where's the point of, like— enjoying your life and living it and being in your prime and making a bunch of money and having fun and being a leader and producing and stuff. And I find that people like to put you in boxes. And so it's amazing to me that just like overnight, it's like you went from not having any authority to you're the boss, you have all the authority, you make all the decisions and you're the old guy. So listen to the younger ones. And you're like, well, wait, can I be young and have ideas or can I be old and still be able to execute? Like I don't need to be a leader. It's it's very strange. Yeah. I have this conversation with people like every single day, the same exact thing of like, right when you're young, you feel like you don't have any, like can't justify being paid certain amounts or even having any sort of validation because of your age. And then when you get older, you're seen as a dinosaur, regardless of how much experience and how fucking awesome you are. So it's just, it's so bizarre. But I feel like things are slowly starting to change. Things are picking up a bit, but I want to kind of go back to, I mean, I guess it's on the topic of being young, but like, where does confidence come from, right? Because when you're young and you're trying to make in this world. And especially if you're having that midlife crisis, like a lot of my listeners are, where they're like, holy fuck, I don't want to do this. How do you even be confident? Especially when you're like a multifaceted person like you are, right? You have so many different skills, but you're not just like one person, right? You don't just have one title. So like, how do you find confidence in being that person? Two big things here. Number one, people think confidence comes from success and that you have to have done it before to be confident. I will tell you the opposite is actually true. Confidence comes from failure. So we've mentioned my Billy Idol experience a couple of times. This is where I get to tell my favorite story. I was fired live on stage by Billy Idol in front of thousands of people. I don't even know how many were there, maybe 4,000, 5,000 people. I met Billy Idol and his manager before the show. They said, you know, play what you play on the retro station. It's a retro show. Play rock. It's a rock show. And don't play any Billy Idol songs. Those were the three things that they said. So I go out there, I'm DJing, I'm doing my thing. I'm mostly an MC, so I'm not like a really like, you know, club DJ. I'm playing fun songs and trying to get people to dance. And the audience is all soccer moms because it's Billy Idol, right? So it's all like the 80s moms. And 
and that's my sweet spot. I feel like I'm crushing, I'm doing great. And the manager comes out and goes, we said play rock music. And he goes, like the Rolling Stones. And that's when panic set in because I'm a club DJ and there's like two rock songs you can dance to. You shook me all night long and pour some sugar on me uh, for the strippers out there. But, <laughs> but other than that, I didn't, this was the time before Wi-Fi. I couldn't download any new songs. So all the songs I had were on the CDs in front of me. And I was like, I don't have another hour of rock songs here. So I found a couple, you know, it was like Leonard Skinner's like Sweet Home Alabama and a Rolling Stone song. And I, I played those and I kept looking and I was like, okay, well, I played a couple. I can probably mix in some retro. And I played uh, Casey and the Sunshine Band, Do a Little Dance, Make a Little Love. And I love go down that song. Night. Such a great song. Yeah. And I have a great joke for it too. I'm like, save the making love for the end of the night. You can do a little dance and get down here, but but save the making love for when you get home. And I play the song and just doosh, the lights come down, the, my music goes off. I have no control over anything on my board and I'm standing there on the stage with nothing. And I look over and the guy gives me like the cutthroat sign. It's like, you're done. Wow. And I packed up my equipment. I did not collect my $200, did not get a, an autograph with Billy Idol or anything. I just slinked out the back. And I went to the front of the radio people, and they were like, what are you doing done already? And I was like, um, apparently they didn't like what I, I got. And in that moment, it was tough, but I already knew then that I tried something outside my comfort zone, that nobody else at the radio station was going to do it. Billy Idol didn't have an opening act because it got sick. So, like, it was me. It was my chance to take a swing. And even though it didn't work out, I was instantly bulletproof. Because from that moment on, doing this podcast, Gabby, is there anything that could possibly go so horribly wrong <laughs> that it would be worse than being fired on stage by Billy Idol in front of 4,000 people? <laughs> no way. Maybe if he hadn't, like, shitting your pants or something. But I think you pretty much you got it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even if I do, I can turn the camera off, right, and mute myself. <laughs> so I'll be fine. Um, it's so funny. And so confidence comes from learning and trying and failure. And, and like I said earlier, point number two here is you got to start with the shitty jobs. you got to start with the ones that nobody wants or working for free and doing something. And I've always felt it is like an economics problem, that if I'm a public speaker, I should probably take anything. I should take $10 an hour to do public speaking and just fill up my calendar because then once I'm full, I can say, you know what? You got to pay more than $10 an hour because I'm booked up. If you want to do better than, than that, I'm happy to put you on the calendar. And so I kind of treat my life like an inventory system where it's like, well, okay, of course I want a $10,000 keynote speech for a large organization. But if I can't get that, what's the next best option? $500 for a local chamber of commerce or uh, you know, a company party or something? Sure, I'll do that. That's better than making 15 bucks at McDonald's or something, right? Or driving for Amazon. Nothing wrong with for people that do that, but that's not how I want to spend my time. I'd rather play and have fun. And when I think about entertaining careers or whatever it is for you, so play for me is behind a microphone. But for you, if it's making art or graphic design or writing or being outside, outdoors, being athletic, anything, you know, if you can't get a job coaching an NFL team, get a job coaching a high school team or a, you know, a club team privately, just do it. And once you start doing it, 
your confidence builds, you network, you meet the right people, you get more opportunities. And so I really learned that in entertainment, just like I'm doing right now on this podcast with you. The more I get in front of an audience, someone here listening will say, I like what Mike is doing, or that's interesting. Let me find more. And I'll get the next one. And they all just kind of daisy chain together. But you can't magically get confidence before you get started. You have to learn how to fail. You have to give it a try. And you have to push those buttons that are really hard to push, like record or publish (laughs) or something, in order to make that confidence real. Yeah. I think the hard thing is because we're wired from schooling that there's only one right answer, right? There's only it's the test you need to take to pass. Like, you know, there's this one way and only way. And if you fail, right, if you get an F on that test in that class and whatever it is, like you're done. Whereas in real life, the real life thing is what you said. Like, it's like the fail fast, move forward. Essentially, like it's the quickest way to make progress is to just fuck up, honestly. But we're conditioned to think that's bad. You're going to die, right? It's unsafe. I'm so glad you brought that up because you're right. It's all conditioning. And I tell people now, especially when I talk to students, that once you graduate from college, there are no more tests. There are no more grades. You know, it's pass fail, but it's there's not even a fail because you get to go again. So they can't kick you out of life, right? Like you, you have to go pretty far down the rabbit hole to get to the point where you get no redeemable options, right? And especially in business, you just start another one. Uh, It's not that big or you try something else and figure it out. But the other thing is that life is an open book test. So you can cheat. You can can steal great ideas from other people. (laughs) You can learn from other people. You can look up the answers. You know, you don't have to have it all figured out. And I think too many people wait for all green lights on the road to success. And they're like, well, if I just do all of this training or education, or if I just get everything right, then I'll have this easy success path. And it never works that way. Almost never will you find people that prepare into it. Now, there are certain careers where you don't want to just randomly start doing brain surgery and figuring it out, messing it up. But outside of those professions, most everything else is learning. And I would say even in those professions, they go to a lot of school to practice and learn and fail. So I've talked with submarine captains and on a nuclear submarine, you don't want to have a whole lot of mistakes. But guess what? You don't start in the submarine at the bottom with a nuclear engine. You start on land (laughs) that they fake and you fail and you make your mistakes before you get there, right? So I think the best part about getting started is that nobody's paying attention. So you can make all your mistakes and you can suck when nobody is watching so that when you get those opportunities like a a Super Bowl or a a big concert or something else, you can take advantage of it because it's not your first time. So I say go for it and get messy and and figure it out. Yeah, that's what I talk to a lot of people about because they're always like, oh, I want to try creating content or I want to try something new, but I'm afraid people are going to think I'm fuck up or I'm stupid or I don't know what I'm talking about or that I'm like not doing it correctly or whatever it is. And it's like, Well, fuck them. Like, let them be cringy over you. Like, they're going to go to bed tonight. They're going to go out to dinner. They're going to fucking forget about it. This is just a moment in time. No one cares. We're too invested in our own day-to-day to worry about what you're doing. And that's just the reality. Yeah, there's a great quote. I forget who said it now. uh, But it said, you wouldn't worry about uh, what people think of you if you realized how little they actually do. I think that's a, a brilliant quote, right? That a podcast that failed is not a big deal because nobody listens to a failed podcast. (laughs) (laughs) So it's like nobody even knows that you did it. Uh, So there's nothing to fail at there, right? And I think the other part of that is 
so many people, even when they do notice or they cringe over it, it's because they're scared about taking the risk, not because they think less of you or you lose any opportunities. I want to take this opportunity to talk about play here a little bit. And this is my mission with Playful Humans is that the other mistake people make here is thinking that it has to be hard or that you even can fail at it. But if you just go out to have some fun with it, it doesn't matter if you fail or not. I'm not a great singer, but I did a ton of karaoke and I did it for fun. My job wasn't to get a record deal for being a singer. My job was to have as much fun as humanly possible in the bar with 400 drunk people. Well, that's pretty easy. It's pretty hard to mess up, right? And so I don't need to be a good singer there. I don't care if sometimes it's funnier when I do a bad song or I forget the words than it is when I do it well. So I think you can also look for opportunities where there's no downside to it, right? Yeah, I think it's just in people's, for me too, specifically, like when I used to live in New York, like Manhattan, right? You gotta like make it big. It's like really expensive, right? There's so much pressure for you to be someone important because you're such a small fish in a big sea that they feel, or I used to feel that if it equated to fun, it wasn't profitable, which meant there was no time for that. But at the same point, I'm sure, well, I know for a fact that you exploring your like natural talents and things that interested you was what actually had you fall into like playful humans and like discovering what's actually fun for you, which they go hand in hand, right? You can monetize what's fun. You just have to look at it from that perspective. Yeah, for me, what's crazy when I even when I dive into scientific research that salespeople who are playful and have more fun and are engaged in their jobs sell 37% more than people that do. I believe it. Thousand percent. And the same thing when you look at creatives or anything else, if it's a, a YouTuber or an influencer or a writer, the people who are most unusual get the most amount of attention and success because we don't need a bunch of gray automaton robots that act like everybody else. We need somebody uh, that's interesting. It's so counterintuitive that people think they have to play it safe and they have to work real hard in order to be successful, but the opposite is actually true. The more fun you have with it, the more you come alive, the more interesting it is to watch the more people want more of that in their life. So there's another great quote. This one is Thurman Marshall. I have no idea who this guy is, but my favorite quote of all time now says, don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive and then go do that because what the world needs is more people who have come alive. Isn't that crazy? It's amazing, I, I mean, right? it's so simple, but it is. Like, it's so true when you think about, especially like corporate, like, you look at people and you're like, you're dead inside. Like you're living, but you're not really. <laughs> right. No, and I don't mean that in like a bad way because I used to be there. I used to be a shell of a human. But like, it's really sad when you see people who've just like succumbed to the BS and they're just like not even who they are anymore because they, they require they're to. more worried about the spreadsheet than they are the human being sitting next to them or on the Zoom call with them. That's crazy, you know? I love that quote though. Yeah, a great quote. And then I'll add to it here because what I think is interesting is when you dive into that, the whole world is that way. At the point where we are in humanity, at least in America, or the people who are, have the ability to listen to a podcast like this, your life's pretty good. You don't need more shit, right? <laughs> you probably uh, don't need any more plastic. What you need is something interesting, something to make you come alive, something to make you leave, put down the screens and the plastic and go live your life. And so that's the mission that I'm on now. And I think it's interesting because... The marketing is so good and the hype and the stories have been around for so long now that it's really hard to remember what it feels like to even come alive. 
that you're like, your job is not to watch six hours of Netflix or even football on TV. Like, here's one I always challenge people with. Like, it's NFL season right now. But if you're watching the NFL, you're not a fan of football. You're a fan of television. If you're playing football, you're a fan of football. <laughs> oh, right? my God. Yo, that's so fucking true, though. It's so true. Fuck. How many p- things in our life are like that, though? I like, know. right? We want to read books or watch TVs or reality TV isn't real. Social media isn't social. You feel like you're connected to your family. But when was the last time you actually talked to any of these people, right? Put down the app and pick up the phone or go, you know, take somebody to dinner or lunch. It's a much different experience. And it's what makes you come alive. And that's the interesting parts of life, I think, at least as. A middle class, I would say even lower class Americans at this point, you have everything you need to survive. You're not going to die or starve. What you need now is to enjoy this ride. This is a a dance while the music is playing situation. We're not trying to rush to the end of the song or the end of our life. We're supposed to sing and dance while the music's playing and enjoy the ride we're on because life isn't a destination or even a journey. It's an experience here that we get to enjoy. And if we miss that part of it, we can really get ourselves in a lot of trouble. Like you said, you end up dead inside and worrying about things that don't matter. And then all these other conflicts result from that. Yeah. And I mean, I used to be in that world of, right, I had the fancy brownstone and like the six-figure salary. And like, I bought the Tory Burch purse. That was like $500, like all these dumb things. And now that I've downsized and like, I basically moved back home to build this business it has given me such insight into like what actually fucking matters, which is like not waiting for the day to try painting or going for a hike or like, you know, like actually doing the things that are like what I find fun and like the giggles come out because of it. Like it's almost like when you buy the special dress or for me, like the pair of heels or whatever, and you're saving it for that special moment, but the special moment never comes because you never use it. So it's like a double-edged sword of like, well, are you going to move? Or are you going to fucking stay? Like <laughs> same with your job. Like let's go people. Life's short. Well, oh man, there's so many things like that. The one I'm kind of fighting with my wife on at the moment is our uh, guest room. You know, she wants to have a room in case somebody comes in town to stay with us, which happens to be next week. But it's about once or twice a year we need an extra room. And guess what? Those people can stay at a hotel or they can find a, a place on a mattress or a sofa or something if they really need to crash at our place, right? But how much of our life is there in case we want to do something, right? You're working really hard to have these extra rooms that you don't use or these extra TVs you don't watch or these extra toys you don't play with or extra cars. You can't drive more than one car at a time. And how many families have extra money they're spending on all of that when you could be, if you were focused on the right stuff that makes you come alive, really spending your time on things that don't cost that much money and you don't need that much to survive. So there was another uh, expert one time, and it's funny how all the research plays this out. They show that if you make more than $75,000 in America, you really can't make yourself that much happier. And when you look at rich people, even famous celebrities or, you know, Jeff Bezos and and Elon Musk, look at the lengths they're going to to make things interesting. Like they're going to space and doing rockets. But you can only have so many rooms in your house. You can only have so many cars there's only so many interesting yachts or trips you can go on. And once you've done all that, you're like, well, if I'm chasing this checking things off the list thing, it's not going to work. I'm going to run out of things on the list and I'm not that creative 
to keep up with it. And then on a small scale, the same thing is true. One car changes your life. That's freedom. One house and safe place to live or one room to live in is great. That makes you happy, right? Because so you're not homeless. But after that, fancier paint on the walls or more expensive sweatshirt versus a cheaper sweatshirt doesn't make you more happy. I know, it doesn't. And all the research proves that. It's so crazy. But when you're in it, you think it's very real. And then once you leave it, you're like, wow, the veil has been lifted. But you need to leave it in order to like actually get seeing the comparison between the two. But I want to kind of reel it back a bit. So like, you know, we're talking on like all these different things that you did and all that. So for people listening, how can they find out what their natural talents are or like what they should focus on to challenge themselves if they're looking to explore another industry or make a career change or in this case, maybe start a business or maybe a podcast? <laughs> you bet. Uh, all right. I have two ideas here. Number one, free plug time. Go to playfulhumans.com slash quiz. And there's a quiz that will tell you what kind of play you enjoy. So it's a fun BuzzFeed style quiz. 10 questions. You pick some answers and it'll give you a, some percentages ranking that play is different for everybody. We're all enjoy different things. You might like puzzles and games. You might like sports and athletics. You might like creating, uh, painting, writing. You might like producing parties and social play. All kinds of different options. There's about 10 of them. It'll really give you a little bit of insight, even just for fun, of, of remembering what you really enjoy doing. What did you like as a kid? What fires you up? What makes you come alive and be turned on in life? And then you can start thinking about where you lost that and what you can do to work that back in. So I hate giving like people the five-step process to have more fun because that kind of defeats the purpose, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> but there are a few things you can do. So if you have to time block it, like just schedule it. If you're a to-do list person, put an hour, one hour on your day where you can just do whatever makes you come alive or whatever you feel like would be the most fun. And it will change your life. It'll change your attitude and you'll start figuring out what those cool things are. The NFL has a Play 60 campaign for kids where they're supposed to get out and exercise and play for 60 minutes a day. My question for everybody listening is, what age would you say that that is not good advice? Right? What age were you like, oh, yeah, you know what? You're 18 now. No more play for you. You should work 24-7, not sleep, don't take care of yourself, and certainly don't goof around and have any fun. Like, no. If you're 80, that advice is just as important as it is when you're a kid because now you need to move your body. You need to build muscles. You need to keep your brain active and challenge yourself. And so if it's true at 8 and it's true at 80, it's probably true for all of us in the middle. Even if we can get away with maybe not playing for longer, we shouldn't. That's not the point. We're going to get burned out if we starve ourselves from play and the things that, that turn us on. The other thing is just go try stuff. So the great thing about play is there's nothing on the line here. So if you go do a cooking class at a local college and it sucks, well, you know, you spent a hundred bucks and, you know, you tried something new. But, and then if you go and buy a Lego kit and do that with your niece or Honestly, nephew that sounds and you so love much it. fun right now. Like you ever, okay. I don't know if anyone listening, but if like when I was a nanny, there were moments where like, right. I have to play with them, right. There was a, a baby, there was like a toddler and then there was like a five-year-old. So right. Multiple different ages, multiple different things. So it was like painting and Legos and all this stuff. And like, you get into this moment where like you're in front of it and you're like, you almost want to push them aside and be like, I want to play. Like I want to do it. Even though it's yes, for quote unquote exactly. kids. It's the most hilarious thing. 
So I do this. I know it's a podcast and other people can't see. This is a Lego Adidas shoe. Holy shit, that's uh, that so I cool. I, so oh my God, that whole, looks like a legit shoe. shoe. Yeah, and it comes in an Adidas shoe box. That's hilarious. Uh, which is awesome too. You find that at Lego. And uh, and over here I have the uh, the Seinfeld kit. So this is the Seinfeld apartment. Oh my God, that's uh, so funny. we got funny. the Festivus pole and all of that stuff. So, I mean, all kinds of fun things. I do activities with my nieces and nephews too. They love to draw and we do, we'll do coloring contests. So, you know, whatever holiday it is, we'll draw a turkey or an Easter egg or something. And then we make the grandparents judge, but I compete with them and stuff. Right. And they love it because the grandparents always pick the kids, you know, crazy flower outside the lines instead of my good professional artwork that I create. Uh, but we just laugh and we have a, a great time doing it. And you feel like, you know what it's like to play. You know what that feeling feels like. It's just, we forget to do it as adults. And it's so crazy that it's, it's been beaten out of us. Yeah. But I feel like there's also like, for people who have rejected play for so long, or they mask it as like bad play. So let's say like drinking alcohol to like numb the things or like social media, like things that are masked as play, but they're not actually play where there's a vulnerability with like trying something new not knowing if you're going to like it, if it's going to make sense for you. Also, just right, putting down the shield of like, well, maybe what if I do like it, right? What does that mean for me? Yeah, uh, and I think one of my favorite things here to do is to test. Would you like to play a game now, Gabby? I'll put you on the spot. Sure, yeah. All right, everybody else can play along too. Uh, one of my favorite games is The Feud. So I call this game Survey Says. All you have to do is get one of the, the top answers on the board. So we asked 100 people, where might a school bus take a student that is not school. Museum. A museum. There we go. That is the number four answer. So those of you playing at home, field trip, uh, sporting event, home. Home should have been number one answer, I think. Uh, zoo or a picnic. All right, number two. Name a place where people <laughs> pretend to be paying attention. School. School is the number one answer. Church, meeting, movies. Uh, I don't know why you would pretend there. Concert or sporting event. Then this is my favorite one. What do men and cats have in common? Uh, they like to be pet. Is that a friend? <laughs> they like to be There you go. Yes. Uh, petting is on there. Lazy. Um, <laughs> yes. And yeah, <laughs> lots of good oh, answers that's so funny. on that one. Uh, super fun. So there's a ton of board games, right? There's anything that you can do to just shake it up. But how many times do we just all, like you said, tune out and numb ourselves rather than actually engage in play that's restorative. So play brings you energy where alcohol or drugs or television, they numb you down so that you get this like flat line where, you know, if you get a flat line, that's a bad thing, right? In the health industry. So I think people try to avoid the drops and the dips in that thing and they don't want a bad time, but you can't have a good time without a bad time. You want your life, at least I want my life going up and down as much as I possibly can so that I'm going to have a lot of good times and I'm going to have some bad times, but I, I figured out how to cope and I can deal with those and, and get back to a, a good time. For me, the worst thing is nothing happens, right? I just numb out, you know, smoke weed and watch Netflix and my life will pass, but what I'm not going to have any memories of anything that I actually did or accomplished, or there's no way for me to leave a legacy or make a mark or make more money, you know, by pursuing that path. Yeah. And you also, 
you leave out room for connections. So like for your example of the family feud thing, I went to, for the first time, the West Coast this past summer, and we had to take a car ride from Arizona to Palm Springs. It was like five hours. And right, really long car ride. And not to mention this trip was with people that I barely knew. I knew one person who was my best girlfriend. Everyone else was like brand spanking new. So I'm in this car with people I don't know, right? What better way to break the ice than family feud? And the great thing is, right, because I didn't know them. We had this really long car ride. We're stuck with each other. We got to know each other so quickly by playing games and talking openly about things that by the time we got to this Airbnb that we were staying out on a week, I felt like they were like really close friends and it made it 10 times better. And I had the, probably the best trip that I've ever had with strangers in my entire life. Oh, man, you nailed it. There's so many great aspects of play, but one of them is connection. That when you play with somebody else, it's such a better way to connect, build a team, build your family, you know, connect with a, a partner. So there are actually studies that show that people that play smile more, which means people find them more attractive. They move their bodies more, which means they weigh less. And that also means that all of those things combined, they have more sex. They make more money. Like the ridiculous side, they have lower health problems. I mean, it's amazing all the positive side effects. But I put a couple into a few buckets here. Number one, connection. Number two, creativity. That when you play, you think of things that are outside the box. So it trains your brain how to do that because you're not just checking boxes and following instructions. Number three is confidence and conditioning. So we mentioned the confidence earlier, but physical conditioning, they think that's one of the reasons maybe that all mammals on the planet play, you know, dolphins and tigers and whales all play and because they practice skills and they have to move their body and they have to build up their muscles and their brains in order to perform when it's called upon. And then the last one for me, which I think is so important, is a community and culture. We forget how to play well with others when we don't do it, right? If we just stay in our bubble and we feed ourselves with information that we believe in and people that agree with us and stuff, when we go outside, we forget that life's not that important, that we can play with others and we can get along with people that are different and we can compete and lose and still be friends with that person afterwards, right? We learned all these lessons when we were playing as a kid and then we forget them as adults. Yeah. It's crazy. I know. And it's what I'm finding more and more as I go on this entrepreneurial journey is like once you return to that childish mindset, like in a good way, not in a bad way of like throwing tantrums when shit doesn't go my way, but more of like, right, embracing play, like being open to conversations, like speaking my mind, like actually being opinionated versus being really like, as you would say, like flatline, like really neutral with everything that life just becomes so much more bright and exciting. And I meet the right people and the people that I'm not supposed to be with like fade away. Yeah. And the interesting part to me is exactly what you said about speaking your mind that we don't need you know, again, more like gray robots. We don't need people to tell us what we already believe. We need people to take interesting points of view. I think of life and even our culture as an experiment, right? If we think of Darwin evolution, it doesn't make sense to have all 300 million people in America doing the same thing because we're not getting any information that way. We need somebody to go be a crazy hippie tree hugger because we want to know what that's like. Maybe we need somebody paying attention over there. And we need somebody to be a really buttoned up, serious scientist. And we need everything in between. And so I think we lose that in our culture and what we hear in the media and in school and in our indoctrination is that there's research studies on this too that I've seen that the more diverse team and the more diverse your network is, the more successful it is. So 
if you have a team of five salespeople that are all outgoing, class clown, crazy people, guess what? You have nobody entering that data into the computer, tracking <laughs> reports, and making sure that we actually get paid. You have, you're herding cats. So you need people on the team that are accountants and that are, are buttoned up, or you need people that are really great at customer service and will do crazy public speaking like I do and stuff, right? Because some people are introverts. And so when we lose that, when we lose those edges, we lose so much value to an organization, to our career, and to ourselves. And so we really do need to experiment and find our edge, find our lane that we can break out and be our own selves. Yeah. But again, right, there's that like indoctrination or that conditioning that if you're unique, you're in a place of being in jeopardy, basically, right? It's fear. It's like rejection. It's shitty hate comments, basically. <laughs> like that's what yeah. Well, I mean, I get it, right? It's easier for a corporation or a government to manage people if they all follow the rules and follow the instructions, right? We've kind of seen that over the last two years. So there are times in life where it helps people to all follow along and all do the, the same thing. But we have so overvalued that, especially in our organizational structures of companies, corporations, and and governments, that we forget that it is also extremely valuable to be your own person. And that we also need small local teams and governments and families that are doing things differently, that are working on different problems. And like I said, coming up with new information and crazy ideas and, and living their life the way that they want. Because otherwise, it loses all the excitement, you know? It just, it's not fun, but it's also way more risky. And we've learned that in the pandemic and, and other things too, right? That what we as humans and, and anything alive on this planet is when you build up different experiences, you stress tolerate your things. And so there are people that live on an island that can hold their breath for seven minutes as humans because they dive underwater and fish, well, we don't need that skill in Kansas where I am, <laughs> but it's glad that somebody has that skill. Should that be called upon to, you know, save our planet or or save our culture or our company, right? We need a, a weird specialized skill set because that's the stuff people don't have. When everybody has it, it actually becomes less valuable. And, and I think that's what people miss. Yeah, but I think with this whole new movement of, right, the great resignation, people demanding more of their employers than wanting to change up their lifestyles, they're recognizing the benefits of being different, the benefits about putting themselves first, the benefits of, in this case, play, because it is like, not to be dramatic, but it is kind of like life or death in a lot of scenarios. <laughs> I mean, like, and I mean, I mean, death in the way of like, again, we go back to the shell of the human type of mentality of just existing, but not actually living. So yeah, fun. <laughs> yeah, I think people are recognizing it, but, and, and here's where I would lean into this. I think there is a change in it. If the pandemic has been good for anything. It's about speeding up progress and speeding up revelations that we were already having as a culture that maybe, yeah, going to that like soul-sucking job or doing something that you don't like is not good for you and healthy and going to get you to where you want to go. If that helped more people realize that, I think that's a good thing. Also in our culture, we're learning here that we have some rights as humans too, that we can say, no, you know what, boss, I can actually produce more if I work from home than if I come into the office. And so I'm not going to do that. Or you know what, maybe four days a week, I have better, more creative output. And the fifth through seventh days I can spend with my family. And that makes more sense. Or maybe I want to work 
10 to 8 instead of 8 to 5. Or I want to work 6 to 3 and go enjoy the afternoon on the beach. And I can do that. There's this great parable of a, a Mexican fisherman where he was fishing and, you know, playing with his family and just, you know, catching enough to survive. And an American business person saw him and said, uh, you know, if, if you fished more in the afternoon, you could, like, afford another boat and then you could scale your business and you could grow. And eventually you could retire with, like, millions of dollars and you could do whatever you wanted. And the fisherman said, uh, what would I exactly what I do when I retire? And he said, well, you could fish whenever you wanted. You could uh, drink margaritas on the beach and play with your kids. And he's like, you mean like what I'm doing right now? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, why would I go through this 40-year process of trying to build and scale something so that I can hit this magical retirement age where I can do what I want? Why don't you start doing what you want now and figuring out how to live on that? So I'm seeing more and more people retire in their 20s and 30s and retiring in the sense that they're not they're not living to work and grow and build this thing and hope that someday they can live, but they're working enough to live and to continue their career. And you don't need more than that. You know, if you do need to take another job, maybe you do that later. But there's so many more opportunities to enjoy what you're doing and enjoy your whole life and not wait until maybe when you're 65 or 70 or 75 and your body's breaking down to try and travel the world and do what you really wanted to do, right? That doesn't make any sense. I know. I was just talking to someone about this the other day, and he actually brought up something that someone had quoted. It wasn't—he didn't say it. It was someone on YouTube. But right there's the FIRE movement of, like, financial independence. I think retire early. But what he was saying is a different spin where it's, like, financial independence, recreation early. So instead of, like, retiring, because what do do I do when I retire? I'm going to sit on my ass in my bed. I already do that. (laughs) Like, he's like, I can have fun instead. You just have to, like, you know, get to a place that you can maybe withstand financially how to make that happen. But even if you don't— why can't you just cut out the bullshit so you can do it now instead of waiting until your shit don't work? Like, And this is my whole push behind this movement of like, why, why are you waiting? Like we saw last year, everyone could have died. Like just fucking do it. Yeah, don't wait. And here's the crazy thing too. So if you look into the history of retirement, it was designed by Nazi Germany for crying out loud. <laughs> That's they were trying up. to, <laughs> communists were trying to get older people out of the workforce, but they had people retire at 65 when the average lifespan was 67. So the last two years of their life, they wanted people to step away. It would allow younger workers and stuff to step up into better positions and also allow some people that uh, weren't physically able to, at the end of their lives work, to be able to retire and basically, you know, kind of have the retirement home thing that we have, have now, right? It wasn't designed for you to retire and then live 25 years of not working because that wouldn't make any sense, right? So, I mean, one, I don't think that's the society we want to emulate, the people that came up with retirement. But two, it's been marketed now by a whole bunch of companies that want to sell you retirement packages and things and travel stuff and insurance insurance. on your life and other things. Yeah, It's not what it was for. You know when you do need to work, when you need to stay active and keep moving? When you're 65 and over. That's when you should be going to an office, when you should be getting out of the house, making sure you're moving, working, and using your mind. And so I love that idea of the flipped retirement, of let's enjoy your life now, and then if you have to work later, that's good. That's something that you're going to need in order to keep your body and mind sharp. But again, like you said, if you're doing something that's fun, it's not really work, which is really cool. But, you know, that's a whole nother wormhole, if you will. But 
This has been so awesome. I'm so glad we got into the concept of play and just like fun and like enjoying life versus like just like taking crumbs kind of. But what I do basically with all my guests is like a final send off. Although there's been ton of gold nuggets you've sprinkled is like, if you could give advice to your younger self, what would that be? Man, I think it is. I, I was pretty good at this when, when I was younger. Cause I knew there was like a shelf life of things. I didn't want to be DJing when I was, you know, 40 at like two o'clock in the morning or three o'clock in the morning at a bar. Right. I knew like now's the time for me to try and do this and to make a, and, and go for it. But even more so, I think for my younger self, I would say start building your own audience and start building your own career in business because I did leverage other people's too much. Sometimes it takes five, 10 years to build anything, a stable career that you make money in in the corporate world or your own business. So you can spend 10 years working for somebody else or you can spend your 10 years working for yourself and struggle. But either way, you're going to get there. You're going to be okay. You're enough. Everything's fine. You don't have to worry about it or hustle or be in a panic or, or impatient about your success. But really take the time to decide where you want to be because the you 10 years from now will thank you for the, the sacrifices that you make now. So make tomorrow easier for you by doing the right things, taking care of yourself and, and enjoying the ride. Yeah, I love that. So can you let everyone know where they can find you if they want to get involved with Playful Humans, maybe check out some of your DJ stuff, like whatever it is, where can they get in connection with you? You bet. Playfulhumans.com is the website. There's also a podcast. So wherever you're listening to this Playful Humans podcast, check that out. I interview people who play for a living. So very much like Gabby, but more entertainers like magicians, people that have won America's Got Talent or Fooled Penn and Teller or um, become famous, had viral videos or TikTok fame and people just also living their best life. So they've designed companies where they play outdoors with kids or work with animals and all kinds of cool stuff. So if you want to hear inspiration and uh, stories about people that are playing for a living, definitely check that out. And then the quiz, playfulhumans.com slash quiz is a great place to get started to discover your natural strengths and how you like to play for a living. I'm literally doing this at, after we get off this call. <laughs> I didn't even know it existed. I'm so excited. I want to hear your score. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I probably would have to do it with the microphone too, but we'll see what happens. This has been awesome. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing all your stories and just really... I think you're going to invigorate the audience to like really embrace play, like really live for now instead of waiting. So thank you. Go do something fun right now. Quit listening to us. Have fun. Go do something uh, for yourself. Thanks for having me on, Gabby. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Corporate Quitter podcast. Visit corporatequitter.com for resources, extended content, and additional information about our guests. To connect with us, stay up to date on all things Corporate Quitter, and to learn more about how you can leave the nine to five, follow us on Instagram and TikTok. And if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks, guys.